just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today's episode is about a condition that affects millions of people worldwide and I sat down with Christchurch local Wren to chat about her diagnosis of the condition. It is, of course endometriosis. In this episode, we learn more about the years and years of Wren's diagnosis journey, the difference between public and private care here in New Zealand, a special type of water that isn't what the influencers are all talking about, and how she continues to be career-driven while having a chronic illness. I also want to quickly note that towards the end of the episode, we do briefly talk about suicide and mental health. Wren is incredibly open and honest throughout this episode, so I really hope you enjoy getting to know her as much as I did. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Now you were just on TV talking about your endometriosis on the TV One News. Yeah, yeah, it was Endometriosis Awareness Month and I volunteered as tribute. (laughs) I love that. It's a great piece, actually, that they created and I'll make sure that I link it in the show notes and post it everywhere on social media so that people can watch and listen. But I guess with TV, when I was watching, I was thinking it's very short and we can't really get into the nitty gritty of everything. So I'm super excited that you're here to share your story with me and with the listeners today. So when I was doing some research about endometriosis, I uncovered some statistics that they think (laughs) that there's around 120,000 people in New Zealand with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And that's just the people that have managed to get a diagnosis of it. And 176 million people worldwide. That have managed to get a diagnosis again, because it's it's just as difficult overseas as it is in New Zealand. Yeah, Mm. which is just wild. And so to start, I would love to know what your definition is of endometriosis when someone learns that you have a diagnosis of this and they have no idea. What would you say to them? I would say... It's not just a reproductive illness. Mm -hmm. It is an illness that definitely affects your whole body and your overall mental health and well-being. Sure, it it does generally tend to be located in that reproductive area of your body, but I have heard of endometrial tissue growing in people's eyeballs of all places. Um, Yeah. Uh, generally I think it gets up as high as the diaphragm, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the lungs, but yeah, on that very odd rear case that, yeah, they don't know why, they don't know how, yeah, the endometrial tissue that's meant to grow inside your uterus and shed every month tends to grow outside of it. Yeah, wow. And it still tries to shed with every period. Oh, okay, I see. So you get a build-up every month of, I guess, that tissue bleeding out into different areas of your body. Mm-hmm. And that will just continue to spread the endometriosis. And it thrives on estrogen, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, I believe so. And yeah, the inflammation definitely doesn't just equate to a painful period. For me, it, it's also a lot of pain during ovulation and a lot of fatigue. I I do pole dancing as a sport mm-hmm. and I always wondered why I seem to progress a bit slower than my pole sisters and it, it is partially the endo. Yeah, um, right. I've, I've found out from a pelvic floor physio that uh, it's way harder for someone with endo to build abdominal strength, especially in your lower muscles, yeah. especially as... Your pelvic floor muscles don't even know how to relax because they're so used to anticipating pain and retracting. Which is just so much more than just having a painful period. eh? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, definitely affects your whole life. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that is still uh, very much the biggest kind of ongoing symptom for me is still having pain during intercourse. Yeah. And as you can imagine, it's 
not really ideal. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I it, just because you you may have a surgery or get a diagnosis doesn't mean that the path is straightforward. Yeah. And everyone's path is different as well. It's not even like there's just this one way that you can do things when you have endometriosis because like you say the tissue could be in so many different places of the body and it can appear as other illnesses as well I think uh, there's a lot of commonality with irritable bowel syndrome especially Mm -hmm. since a lot of um, people with endometriosis have painful bowel movements and they can get inflammation from certain foods Mm -hmm. for me dairy is something that can make me a bit more inflamed and I have to be really careful Oh, I'm a vegan now, but if I do have a weekday and I want a pizza, yeah, <laughs> I just have to be aware that the next day I might get a little bit of a flare-up. Yeah. I love when we were chatting and you were like, I'm a vegan, but I make fun of being a vegan. It's oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I started at a new workplace and we had to um, share a secret about us. And yeah. I said, well, I'm an open book. I don't really have any secrets, but um, have I told you recently that I'm a vegan? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just this kind of ongoing joke. Yeah. Lately, I've been a little bit more of what I would call a freegan. Okay. I've been a bit free about being vegan. Ooh, so um, I love that doesn't mean I've been eating meat. It just yep. means that, yeah, pizza's my weakness. Uh, I am here, sister. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not I'm not the girl that needs a wine at the end of the day when she's stressed. Yes. I need a pizza. Oh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> I love it. Now, I know with endometriosis that diagnosis is not generally an easy path to just suddenly think that you might have it tomorrow, get a diagnosis, and that's all that there is. So... <laughs> What was your diagnosis process? When did you start to notice that something was going on and that you needed to talk to perhaps a doctor or somebody else about this? Mm. Well, gee. (laughs) (laughs) For me, to be honest, I knew even before I got my period that it was going to be a problem. Okay. Periods for the my mother's side of the family, for the for all the women, tend to be painful and heavy and I'd say Probably there is quite a bit of endometriosis in my family. Mm -hmm. I'm just the first that I know of to be diagnosed. Okay, yeah. So I grew up knowing full well that my periods would be painful. They Mm -hmm. would be heavy and potentially irregular. Yeah. I also knew from my mum and the fact that I started having puberty really young Mm -hmm. that I would probably get my period quite young. Yeah. And I was. I was in my second to last year of primary school. Oh, wow. It was a month after my 10th birthday. Wow, yeah. And I knew exactly what it was, didn't freak yeah. out. I just went, Mum, got my period. And obviously being so young, we were we were the only classroom in the school to have sanitary bins put in our toilets. <laughs> so it became pretty obvious yeah, which of the girls in the class who had breasts yeah. also had her period. And, you know, you're learning, you're kind of figuring it out. And normally I think we we can kind of share that with, our friend group but yeah when you're that young you don't get to share the experience so much you've got to kind of learn mm-hmm. as you go and you, yeah bleeding through pads because my period was so heavy at that age mm-hmm. and having to stay home from school because it was so painful I'd pass out sometimes or throw up wow. from the pain you just feel sick yeah literally feel physically ill from the pain and from the fatigue And I remember not long after I got my period because it was so heavy and painful and irregular, it would be very, very long, my mum took me to the doctor and I got put on a very low dose of the pill. Yeah. And Wow, like at 10, 11 years old. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. I was super young. Yeah. Looking back, knowing kind of what I know from our wonderful trans community, I almost wish I'd been put on puberty blockers Mm -hmm. at a young age. Yeah. I feel like... I don't know whether that ever happens for young women that are clearly starting to hit puberty very young, but it kind of also led to puberty means you start going through a sexual awakening. So you start getting all of these feelings at such a young age and you start kind of thinking, well, how do I express myself as, as a woman, even though I'm a girl and where do I fit and And I'm at primary school yeah what do I do with myself let alone yeah this stuff that's going on in my body and my brain so yeah went on the pill quite young 
and did that help at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it set the period to be at a twenty-eight time. days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it definitely regulated it. The doctor also put me on naproxen, which is a low, uh, not a low, a slow-release anti-inflammatory. Okay. And it would also slow down the bleeding. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in theory, if you're slowing down the bleeding, it should be a bit less painful. Okay. And of course, you can take things like paracetamol on top of an anti-inflammatory. So, I had a really great GP when I was a kid who uh, for him it was very important to honor what my body would do naturally as much as possible okay and support my body's natural process so I, I remember one summer I, I wasn't ready to use tampons yet and yeah. I asked if he put on a pill that would stop my period and he went nah not doing it okay, not natural yeah. not good and went to another doctor, got those pills, uh, and man, did I regret it afterwards. <laughs> I had the most painful period I'd ever had in my life when yeah. I stopped taking those pills, so yeah. I just should have listened to him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, when you're so young, you don't yeah. actually know what no. is happening with the world, let alone with something like this. Absolutely, and because of our family history as well, I don't think it was ever considered abnormal. I was just about to say, do you think that that was a bit of a blessing and a curse that it had run in your family, that this just was normal? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I kind of, I think also because of the pill, it masked some of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I kind of continued on with life through high school, stayed on the pill, normal, great, fine. Went on uh, the Depo-Vera after high school because when I got to uni, you know, you're partying and you kind of sometimes forget to take it. So I asked my new GP what my options would be because unfortunately my childhood GP stopped practicing after the earthquakes. Okay. And yeah, got put on the Depo-Vera and man, oh man, I know that that works for some people Mm -hmm. and it did work for me for the first couple of years, but I've done research since being on it. I'm not a medical professional, but from what I've read, you are supposed to only be on it for about two years, I think, as a max. This is the injection, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. in in the bum. Yes, The injection in the bum, go every three months and Mm -hmm. yep. It's progestin, I believe, which is the same as what's in the pill. Yeah. I think it's just a much more concentrated dose Mm -hmm. and yeah great for the first two years and then I started noticing my mental health really declining okay my libido completely disappeared Mm -hmm. sex had started to become really painful again yeah and I'd had an experience when I was about 14 again going back to that kind of developing as a sexual being quite young um I was in a relationship with a guy that was a lot older than me looking back now I can see that it was not healthy um and I remember going to the doctor saying look I've got all this stuff going on don't know whether it's related to the depot but sex is painful and it's it's hurting my relationship yeah I don't want it to Mm -hmm. so I got referred to a pelvic floor physio oh okay because the idea was it was psychosomatic from past trauma okay there was no ask ever about the health of my periods or anything along those lines from that doctor so I think that's also why it took me a really long time to get diagnosed our GPs are not empowered to kind of look at us very holistically they get 10 minutes Mm. with how many people in a day so many people in a day and as a patient you're not going to sit there and go through absolutely every little thing that has bothered you in your life I mean you've only got 10 minutes so you're going to go to the most acute thing that is worrying you and a lot of the time you don't actually know that these things are all connected so why would you even mention it because you don't know hindsight's a beautiful thing right (laughs) now I can see that yeah all those different times that I went to the doctor and I'd say look my my period's really heavy it's really painful what can we do about this and then going back and saying, look, I'm having these problems with pain during intercourse. I know now because of what I know about endo yeah. that it's related, but I didn't even know what endo was no. at that time. Yeah. Um, I We had a PE teacher in high school that had it. Mm-hmm. She told us about it. But I think because at that time, because my symptoms were being masked by the pill, yes, right. I never made the connection. Yeah. It wasn't until last year, or the year before even, I came off the depot 
because I thought I'd never actually given my body a chance okay. to do its thing by itself. Yeah. And that's fair. Yeah. Always been on some sort of hormone to, to manage and regulate my period. So what will my body do? What will my mental health be like yeah. if I just stop? So stopped the depot, but it takes a long time for it to leave your system. Right, okay. So I think about a year after coming off of it, I started getting some irregular periods, and then it wasn't until about 18 months afterwards right. that they became normal again. Mm-hmm. So the start of 2020, before... The shitstorm. Before the shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my partner and I went on holiday in Auckland. Um, <laughs> we were going to Waiheke living our best lives, yes. seeing Tool and Ben Harper. That's right, the Tool concert. Yeah. Someone had COVID there, didn't they? The night before I went. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to say. And we also saw um, Suj Tankin at the sound desk there from System of a Down. So I wow. was just living my best yep. life. Like, oh my God, I've gone to heaven. Yeah. But I remember distinctly on that trip getting my period and it being really painful. Okay. More painful than it had been since... I was a kid. Yeah. So quickly went to the supermarket, got whatever painkillers we could, immediately booked a doctor's appointment for when I would come back home because mm-hmm. I thought, well, this isn't good. Yeah. This isn't a good sign. No. And what does painful, like in that moment, how did that affect you? What was that looking like in your body? So feeling like you're being stabbed. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. That that feeling of your uterus contracting inside you is just horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah, props to, to, to women that have babies, Yeah, you know, because your uterus is contracting something crazy during that. Yeah. Um, I got a month of it when, I'm sure we'll talk about it soon, between my surgeries with my body rejecting the marina. Right. But yeah, feeling like you're getting stabbed in the gut, it stops you in your tracks. Yeah. So you could be walking down the street and all of a sudden you just have to stop and double over and take take some deep breaths. It's yeah. It l- literally debilitates you. Yeah. Plus, you get the physical symptoms of the bloating and then you start potentially having negative thoughts about your body and, you know, your yeah. clothes are uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable. Auckland's humid and muggy, yeah. so I already felt uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I... It, w- it wasn't pleasant, that's for sure. And does paracetamol and like ibuprofen, does that help? Does it take any of the edge off? Uh, I'm sure it does to an extent. It only takes the edge off, yeah. those sorts of pain reliefs. And <laughs> I got put back on the painkillers that I was on when I was a kid. When oh, I went the slow-release ones? Yeah, yeah and then I, I got an allergic reaction to them. <gasps> oh, shit. Yeah. What so happened then? started getting hives. Oh, God. Um. Because apparently my body doesn't necessarily like anti-inflammatories. Yeah, okay. I've had allergic reactions to brufen in the yeah. past as well. It's not logical <laughs> at all that my body is like, yeah, sweet, ibuprofen's fine, but you can't have brufen. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure they are exactly the same, but yeah. for whatever reason... The body says no. So Any we pharmacists listen. listening, feel free to let us know what this is about. <laughs> yeah, because I've been told they're, they're the same. Yeah. But yeah, for whatever reason... I get really sick on brufen. I start feeling okay. really, really nauseous. And I remember the naproxen giving me hives. Shit. So we stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and because it's slow release, can you just, t- like, stop? Like, does it keep – how is the slow releasing going? Um, it's only – well, I don't I don't know exactly, but you would only take two naproxen in a day. Okay. So you take one in the morning and one in okay, the evening yeah. with some So it's not too food. hard to just stop yeah, taking Yeah, it's it. not like the depot. It's not going to take <laughs> yeah. a year. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember going to the doctor, and it wasn't my normal doctor. There's many doctors in that practice. And he, yeah, he put me back on the naproxen, suggested hormonal contraceptives again, and I kind of went been there we've done that they mask the symptoms from what I'm now thinking and I'm not really keen to go down that path yeah went away with my naproxen thinking great this will be fine Mm -hmm. and it was not yeah so I went back to the doctor went to see my normal GP and um she suggested going on to the marina okay 
Now, the marina is great for yeah. managing endo. It is fantastic because it releases the hormones straight to the area that you need it to. It's not affecting the brain because I was worried about my mental health again. Yeah. And, yeah, I just I just didn't want to. I didn't want to try hormones again. Yeah. I was just really anxious. And, again, I reiterated to her, I feel like we're masking the symptoms. Yeah. I don't feel like we're treating the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. She literally said to me, that's all I can do, though. That's all I can do. But why? Yeah. Why is that all you can do? I know. Then and there, I would have expected a referral to a gynecologist or yeah. something along those lines. But it, it's almost like there's a, a, a series of steps that they have to follow yeah. as a GP. You know, they've got to try everything under the sun before they can send you to that specialist because... I'm sure this will change with our DHB restructures. Yeah, hopefully. But in the past, they would have certain quotas to fill. Mm. They can't go over them. Yeah. Can't go under them. It's so a funding thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There's only so many patients that they can take. Yeah. So I left that appointment pretty disheartened. And I didn't know at that time how to advocate for myself very well. I just kind of went, oh, right, well... You're the expert, you're the doctor, yeah. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to take your advice and kind of keep living with what I'm living with. Yeah. And I talked to my mum, and of course mama bears are fierce, yes. so <laughs> she was like, hell no, this isn't okay. Got to trust your gut feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And um, she started doing some research, and she sent me a link to an article about endometriosis. Okay. And I read the symptoms and went oh my god that's me yeah that's literally everything that I'm living with right now would this have been the second time you had heard about endometriosis the first at school with your PE teacher nothing and then now yes okay cool yeah I'd maybe heard friends mention it actually I do remember another friend who was a beauty therapist mentioning it but again I saw her crippled in pain with hot water bottles most days at work and Mm -hmm. at that time I was on contraceptives, so I didn't make that connection again. My symptoms were masked. So, yeah, off of all of the hormones, periods are getting increasingly worse, which was quite concerning. I was having to start taking time off work, which hadn't happened before. Yep. And I'm a pretty career-driven person Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life, and I was not very happy about having to take time off work or it impacting my work. Luckily, my work was very supportive of everything that I was going through. So I self-referred to a private clinic in Christchurch. And so during this time, did you have the marina? No. No, okay, so you didn't go down that path? No, Okay. I I refused it. Okay, yeah. And I'm glad that I did. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, self-referred. I wasn't on anything at that time. Yeah. I was just, you know, ibuprofen, paracetamol, hot water bottle, yeah, trying to make it through the day. And were the periods happening every month? Yeah. Okay. They were happening very regularly, every 28 days, mm-hmm. but I literally would only have one week of my cycle that was pain-free at that time. Wow. So I was getting the pain during uh, ovulation and then it would settle I'd get pre-pain for my period. I'd get pain during my period. Then I'd get pain after my period. Which Um, is just a lot of pain. Yeah, and it's tiring. It's so tiring. I was missing pole classes. I I wasn't enjoying the things that I would normally enjoy. So obviously it was starting to have a bit of an effect on my mental health and it was having an effect on my relationship as well. Um, It's hard to feel like you're kind of doing your part as a partner if you can't... Yeah, you know, enjoy intercourse the way that you want to. Yeah, because your body doesn't let you. Yeah. So I referred to the clinic that my mum went to, where Mm -hmm. her gynecologist was. We have different gynecologists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would be a bit much. That would be a bit strange. (laughs) Is there any family resemblance? I don't want to. Yeah, no, don't. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, self-referred, sat down with the gyno, and I think we had an hour appointment. Which, for me, was also mind-blowing because I'd only ever had 10-minute quick appointments with GPs, maybe half an hour with a physio. Never had someone spend a dedicated, like, hour Mm -hmm. writing down all of my symptoms and and actually listening. He did say something, and 
I know now it's his sense of humor, but I, <laughs> I'm not very good always at telling when people are joking. I think I'm maybe a little bit on, on the spectrum. And I know now he was joking and he said something along the lines of, oh, it's as if you've Googled all the symptoms and recited them to me. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? You're like, no, I promise I'm being honest. I'm like, I'm in pain. Why would you say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he meant it as in, shit girl you clearly have this yeah this is Um, textbook (laughs) yeah this is textbook we need to get you in for a surgery now and he booked me that day for my first surgery Um, and this is private yes yeah so I'm very lucky my mum signed me up for health insurance when I was one Mm -hmm. so I didn't have any pre-existing health conditions I was too young yeah amazing goodness so yeah Southern Cross covered 80% of all of my Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, so good. I mean, it's still expensive, yeah. but I got it done yeah. quickly. Yeah. Literally went in for the appointment just after we came out of lockdown, I think. Well, not long after. And then I had this, the first surgery days after my 28th birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the doctor's Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best sleep of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I was really anxious before the surgery because I've been really healthy my whole life. I've yeah. never had a stay in a hospital. I've never had an operation or yeah. anything. I've never even had a filling. Yeah. So Whoa. I was... I, th- I must I must have been given your quota of fillings in this world. <laughs> That's what's happened here. <laughs> yeah. So I was shitting myself. Yeah. Luckily with the private system, they have a bit more time for you. Yeah. So I, I had a nurse literally take me on a tour of the hospital oh that's so um, lovely the friday before she showed me where i'll be staying afterwards she showed me where i'll be waiting before the surgery where i go in at what points my partner can be with me mm-hmm. where he'll wait afterwards where i'll go into recovery and then my private room yeah it's so bougie it's lovely yeah. <laughs> i wish everyone could experience yeah. <laughs> it it's it's um it's really unfair that not everyone can so yeah i I got to walk through the day before I went in, which I really needed. So I went in on that day. I could visualize where I was going to go when, all of that kind of stuff. So I was a lot more relaxed Mm -hmm. going into the surgery. I even remember um, the nurse and the surgeon, my gynecologist, holding my hand while the anesthetist was putting the port into my hand. Just really amazing quality of care. Really, really amazing. So in that surgery, the laparoscopy, I also had... Laparoscopy. Yeah, laparoscopy. Laparoscopy, that's how you say it. <laughs> I've struggled with this word for a very long time, so it's, thank you for that. You're welcome. It's a, it's a, it's a weird word. <laughs> I had another procedure done as well. I can't remember what it's called, but they basically look inside your uterus. Yeah. So they started there mm-hmm. and worked their way up, yeah. so to speak. But he, I remember when I woke up, the surgeon said, look, we... We looked in your uterus first and it was riddled with endo. Wow. And I had never felt so vindicated in my yeah. life. Yeah. I was so relieved and so happy because one of my biggest fears before the surgery since I was paying for it. Yeah. What if they don't find anything? Yeah. What if it is psychosomatic? Yeah. What what if what if it is all in my head because I've been told my whole life a painful period is normal. Yeah. You're being hysterical. Yeah. I mean, no one ever used that word, but I think that there is a real hangover from the days of hysteria yeah. towards women's health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's especially impactful for women of color. Yeah. I'm in a privileged position because I'm not. Yeah. And I have friends that are, mm-hmm. and they just do not get the same yeah. quality of care. And it's made me feel almost guilty yeah. for, for the journey I've been through. But that's why I'm here. You know, you've got to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. to help advocate for yeah. for those that need it more than we do. Yeah. So, yeah, they found heaps. <laughs> wow. Um, it, was, it was everywhere. It was around my uterus. It was around my bowel. It was... Um, around my bladder it was everywhere you would expect it to be to relate to the the pain during sex yeah they even had to stitch my ovaries up away from everything because they'd removed so much they were concerned that my ovaries would get stuck to the scar tissue as it was healing right they were getting pulled down and starting to adhere to other tissue so Mm -hmm. um 
I don't know what would have happened in the future to my fertility if yeah. I had waited. Yeah. I'm very lucky that I was uh, stage two, bordering stage three. Okay. I say lucky because I went to an endo management evening not so long ago. Uh, there's an amazing program called the Me Program. Okay. It was start. I can't remember the lady's name, but I think she's the head of endometriosis New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And they go out to schools and educate young people about the symptoms so wow. that they know the signs to look for. Yeah. And now the clinic that I went to for my surgery, majority of the surgeries that they do are on people under the age of 20, which okay. is awesome because if you're catching it at stage yeah. one or stage two, it won't grow back in yeah. the area that you've removed it from. Okay, cool. It might still grow back in areas outside of the site of the surgery, Yeah, but it won't grow back where you've had the surgery from the studies that they've done. So I've potentially caught it just in time that it won't grow back where I had it removed from. And they put in the marina. Okay. So during that procedure. Yeah. During the surgery. So. Are you asleep for this? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) And um, yeah, that was something I was really scared about as well. The, the anesthetic. Also being a singer, I was really worried about the breathing tube. Yeah. So I was that girl that said, hey, Mm -hmm. I sing. I can show you a video to prove it if you want. Yeah. (laughs) I need a small breathing tube because I don't, I can't, just if you damage my vocal cords, the quality of my life is gone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it would and I'd find other passions, but (laughs) man, I can't imagine my life without being able to sing. Yeah. So yeah, they, they accommodated to that, which was awesome. So stayed in the hospital afterwards I felt really good mm-hmm. really really good I think because it's a keyhole surgery it is probably a bit easier to recover from I yeah. remember probably the worst aspects were the the pain from the gas okay so I had the pain in my shoulders pretty normal it was pretty good for I don't know like a week and then I started getting horrendous pain again no yeah and I'm kind of going am I just healing yeah what's going on went back to the the surgeon got my stitches out mentioned you know I've I've still got this cramping going on don't know what it is yeah um he was like well let's just give you some time you know we've given you heaps of tramadol yeah (laughs) they give you enough tramadol uh well, they'd give you the same amount of tramadol that they would for a hysterectomy as okay. they do for a laparoscopy, which is insane. So I've yeah. got plenty at home yeah. stored away because <laughs> I did not use a lot of it. Yeah. So started trying to rely on, on the tramadol and the panadol yeah. to start getting through the day. I tried to go back to work. I remember I went back to work and... I had to go home during the day that first day I went back because I all of a sudden was hit with this excruciating pain. Almost worse than pre-surgery. Yeah. And I had a month of that building and building and getting worse and worse to the point that at the end of that month I wasn't eating because the pain was just too bad. Yeah. And yeah, I got the marina taken out. Okay. So that's when they, when did they suddenly go? Could be this. Yeah, the, the the surgeon kind of thought, well, we've given you time. Yeah. You could wait longer if you want to try <laughs> yeah. it to see if your body calms down. Yeah. I, I, I guess another thing I should say is that they found when they did the surgery, my uterus isn't shaped normally. It's, oh. it's um, Normally a uterus is shaped like a triangle. Mm-hmm. Mine is shaped like a heart. Oh. So the bottom of it comes up. Yeah. So I think that because of that heart shape in my uterus, the marina never quite settled. Yeah. So my uterus was basically contracting for a month, trying to get it to settle. Wow. And it just didn't, so it kept getting worse. Yeah. Oh my God, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. So yeah, we got it taken out, and I remember, I think within a couple of hours, the pain started to go away. Yay. And I started to feel normal again, and I think I had about a month of normality and then I started getting pain again (gasps) yeah what is going on I know I thought you know you get the surgery you're fixed right you know you 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 should be good but the path isn't always clear and things don't always go to plan so we we'd done this surgery we'd 
tried the marina. We took it out. I was good for a little while. Why am I in pain again? Yeah. So went back to the doctor. The pain was quite localized to mm-hmm. uh, the left side of my stomach. And at times I could almost feel like I could push like a lump yeah. in. Normally when, well not normally, some surgeons prefer when they do the stitching up of the ovaries to book a follow-up surgery to ensure that the ovaries stitches have dissolved yeah. and that they've dropped back down. Mm-hmm. So my surgeon suspected that two things had happened. One was that the scar tissue, because they'd taken so much out, had banded together right. and tightened yeah. things up because intercourse had become even more painful. Okay. So that would indicate that the scar tissues joined up together and that localised pain would potentially indicate that an ovary hasn't dropped. Right. So went in for a second surgery. And is this still private? Yeah. So even though you paid for the private care at the beginning, got the surgery, you're recover you're trying to recover, just seeing your GP, you still then can't be on the public system. No. It still had to be private to yeah. get the next one. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I hadn't even gone to the GP in between this. Oh, okay. I think I went once to see the nurse at the GP because because of the, the cramping in my uterus, I wondered whether the marina had come out or dislodged. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I went and got the nurse to check that mm-hmm. it was still in place. And it was. Yeah. But I'd kind of lost faith Yeah. with my GP. Through no fault of her own, and I have to stress that, it's just the system. Mm-hmm. It's not her. Yeah. It's not her fault. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd only been conversing with my gynecologist's okay. nurse okay, and the yeah. private clinic um, yeah. through, through all of this. So, yeah, went back. Booked me another surgery, and this time I'm like, I know exactly what yeah. to expect. I'm old hat at this. Yeah, it's only been two months since the first one. Like, yeah, come at me, bring I'm, it on. I'm ready. <laughs> I don't care. And part of the plan for this second surgery was putting this magic water called Adept inside okay. me. This magic Adept. water takes up to five days for your body to absorb. Wow. So the idea of it is that it sloshes around <gasps> and gives the scar tissue some time for a scab to form oh. so that it doesn't then stick together. Okay. Technology is amazing. <laughs> I feel like this special water is like what all the influencers have, like the Fiji water or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I hope not. They'd be very bloated potentially if they did. Um, That's wild. Science. Yeah, so I good. know. Science so cool. Went in for the surgery and he told me that the water might make me uh, a bit nauseous. Okay. I thought, fuck, man, I've been through so yeah. much nausea in the last wee while. Like, it's nothing in comparison to the pain and stuff that I've yeah. been through. And um, <laughs> when I'd woken up from my first surgery, I I, I spewed um, okay. pretty quickly upon waking up and then I was absolutely good as gold. Yeah. The surgery, I woke up and I felt fine. Oh. And I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool. We've made it through yeah. the anesthetic. All good. Nick minute. <laughs> started throwing up and I couldn't stop I just could not stop so even when they were taking me from the the recovery area down to the room that I would stay in Mm. I remember being in the lift and my bed being wheeled down throwing up oh shit yeah (laughs) so they gave me like an anti-nausea patch behind my ear that you'd get for motion sickness um they gave me injectable uh anti-nausea stuff as well I I got so scared to move because I thought it would make me throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the anaesthetist this time, instead of putting the port in my hand, put it in my arm. So yeah. it had started to come out. And every yeah. time I moved, an alarm would go off. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to move. And that was my first experience with um, a bedpan in a bed. Yeah. Far out. <laughs> it's interesting. It's yeah. real interesting. 10 out of 10 do not recommend. I'd rather have a diaper next time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that could be arranged. Although I, I hope there is not a next time. I hope there's yeah. not a next time as well. <laughs> so that second surgery found plenty of scar tissue. Okay. That did need to be separated. Okay. It actually also found a little bit more endo. I know. Excuse me, do you have to be so aggressive? I know. Endometrium tissue? Back off, bitch. Yeah. And it also had found that my left ovary didn't drop. Okay. So it had stayed twisted up. So I think that was the biggest source of pain. So I'm really glad that I got that second surgery. 
So fast forward after that one, the recovery for the first few days was horrendous from mm-hmm. that water. Yeah. And also going back to that gynecologist's sense of humour, I remember him saying after I'd recovered and had my stitches out, oh, I've heard that um, that water is what it feels like to be pregnant in the first trimester. And I went, oh, great, cool, thanks. You've just put me off ever wanting yeah, to have kids. that was the greatest contraception. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that, sir. <laughs> so... Things were pretty good, but I was still having cramping. Yeah. And I was still having pain during sex. So my mental health definitely started deteriorating because I thought I've paid thousands of dollars, even though it's way cheaper, thousands of dollars for these surgeries and I'm still not fixed. Yeah. What is going on? Started feeling like... A broken woman, mm-hmm. like I'm not enough, and uh, how can I ever be a good enough partner if yeah. if if I'm literally broken at the source of my womanhood? Yeah, it's a really negative mind space to be in, and even though those around me did not feed into that rhetoric yeah. it's really hard to break that cycle of thought did you have support during this time oh, anyone yeah. that you could talk to about all of this yep um yeah. m- my partner is just friggin amazing yeah he is my best friend and yeah. has walked with me holding my hand beside me yeah. this whole time that's so awesome he is flipping amazing um i couldn't have could not have done this without his support at yeah. all. We've got some amazing fur children as yeah. well. Um, <laughs> our cat, especially uh, when I was recovering from surgeries, would bring me dead birds. Oh, cats um, just know, don't they? They do. <laughs> like She's like, oh, mum, you know, I feel like you need a bit of extra help yeah. with the hunting. Maybe and... some more protein. Yeah, yeah, you know, I <laughs> you can smell that you're a vegan now. Yeah. Let me just bring you something. So um, she stopped doing it since I've recovered. Yeah, it's wow. crazy. She only does it now when I have a flare-up. Yeah. She does know. It's yeah. crazy. And then yeah. the dogs just cry at me like, Mum, I want to fix you, but I don't know how. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, my mum is amazing as well, mm-hmm. being the one that got fierce and, you know, yeah. made me stand up for myself and advocate for myself. Amazing um, stepsister and stepfather as well. I've yeah. just got a really amazing support network of friends and family around me. That's so good. I also, because of the experiences I've had witnessing my dad go through his own battle with depression and then losing his life to depression when I was 16. I'm very hyper aware of the signs in myself. Yeah. I always have said to myself that I will not turn into my father. Yeah. Um, I've got too much of my mother in me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good balance. So I, I will never let that rule me. And I will always fight for myself when I notice my mental health starting to decline. So I, I reached out to a, I guess she's a life coach that I'd had some sessions with a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, not so long ago saying, look, I'm really struggling. I need help. Yeah. Please. Can we have a chat? Mm-hmm. And had an amazing chat. And I definitely have had a lot of struggle with imposter syndrome in my life. And she just kind of said to me, well, what if you are enough? Yeah. How would that change things? Um, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would change everything because yeah. the insecurities that I have at work, the insecurities that I have in my relationship all stem back to that feeling of me thinking that I'm not enough. She was like, well, if, if you are enough and you know you are enough, how does that change your pain? And I kind of sat with that for a while yeah. and I started going through that mantra of I am enough. And it was amazing how it did actually alleviate a lot of the pain. So yeah. no endometriosis is not psychosomatic. Yeah. But I do think to an extent we create our reality and sometimes, yeah. you know, you get used to a certain... Uh, facet of reality and then you recreate it for yourself if you're not careful so I broke that cycle of thought and I constantly I've got a poster on my desk at work saying I am enough say that to myself and take a deep breath and more often than not the pain goes away Wow, which is crazy but 
yeah, the pain during sex is still there. Yeah. So, and and I was still having cramps during the time that I would be having a cycle, mm-hmm. even though I was only taking active pills. So okay. af- after the Mirena, the surgeon put me on the pill okay. again to, yeah. to, to manage uh, yeah. the symptoms ongoing. And um, wasn't enough. So he decided to put me on more hormones on top of okay. the pill. So me before surgery, completely anti. Yeah, like, like no. Don't not- come at me with that <laughs> shit. I don't want you messing up with my mental health. And by that point, my mental health was already deteriorated. Yeah. So I thought, let's just do it because yeah. the worst that's going to happen is I'm living pain free with maybe a little bit of. Yeah, maybe if health. we can help this part of life we might be able to help this part as well so yeah yeah. exactly so yeah that's kind of taken us up to present I'm now on the pill with extra hormones on top of that Mm -hmm. it's still an ongoing conversation with the surgeon so we're we're um going to start dropping back those extra hormones to see what the lowest level of dosage yeah can be I'm also having been referred on on to a pelvic floor physio again mm-hmm. at my own request because at that amazing endo management evening I went to the physio that I've actually been referred oh, to amazing. Um, had, was talking about how even after surgery she has a lot of patients that come to her with ongoing pain because the body is constantly anticipating it yeah the pelvic floor muscles don't know how to relax yeah and they just stay tense and that causes cramping so I think that's exactly what's going on for me during sex my body thinks it's going to get pain yeah so it creates it yeah and I need external help to manipulate those muscles to to teach them how to relax and the body is so complex and the body the mind everything is connected and everything is so much bigger than what we actually know yeah like we don't know how this is all connected no We know more about space than the human body. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is mind-blowing. We know what endo is, but we don't know what causes it. Yeah. I'd say that's the same for a lot of illnesses. You know, we know even less about the brain, let alone the body. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You just have to, I guess, do what you can. You can't let anyone tell you that the path that you're on is is wrong because it worked out differently for them. Yeah. It, it's different for everyone. I think the biggest takeaway that I've had from this journey is that it's okay to advocate for yourself mm-hmm. and it is okay to speak up for yourself. Yeah. I think especially as women and I, I guess non-binary as well, it's really difficult to get that respect from the health system. Yeah. And it's really difficult in our society to feel like there is space for you to be loud mm-hmm. and big. Yeah. Same thing in the workplace. Like we were talking earlier, mm. I'm very, very lucky to work for a company that holistically cares about their employees. Yeah. They they care about us as individuals and our overall health and well-being, and they definitely also care about us looking out for each other. Yeah. So. I've always been given the space and the care from my workplace as well as my family to take care of myself. Yeah. And owning the fact that you have a chronic illness, it shouldn't be a barrier to work. Yeah. Like I said, I started a new job recently and I said on the form, because they say, have you got anything yeah. that can affect your ability to work? And I said, I have endo. It very rarely affects my ability to work, but sometimes it does. Yep, and you still got the job. I still got the job, <laughs> absolutely. And I've still had some flare-ups and stuff on the way. Yeah. But, you know, those days I can work from home and wear some baggy yeah. pants with a hot water bottle or something along yeah. those lines or, yeah. I think we hear a lot of horror stories about workplaces yeah. and with people not accepting chronic illness conditions and disabilities but then we also have a lot of success stories and there are a lot of amazing workplaces out there like mm. yours that mm. do accommodate for these. And I think it just takes a little bit of time to navigate that. Definitely. And like you, we were saying before we started recording, if if you if they don't want you, well, they're not good enough for you then anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The biggest asset for an organisation these days is the talent within it. Mm-hmm. It is the people. That is your 
biggest asset now. It's not monetary. You want that talent to stay within your organization. So you're yeah. going to develop it. And, and yeah, any, any organization I think worth its salt puts its people first because what are you without your people? Yeah. It all falls over if you don't have your employees, right? Exactly. I've also been very pleasantly surprised and maybe that's some internalized sexism on my part that all of my support in the last two and a bit years through this journey have come from men. Yeah. My superiors at work are all male. Yeah. And have not been afraid to have the conversation about literally my reproductive organs with me. They've never shied away from the conversation. They have never said, oh, that's a little bit too much information for me, dear. I don't really need yeah. to hear about that. That has also been amazing. So just because your superior may not have the same body parts as you to understand what you're going through doesn't mean that they're not open to listening yeah, to you. Absolutely. Mm. And I think it's just such a beautiful takeaway of you are enough and I just think you know that gets thrown around quite often you know as like a mindfulness photo on Instagram or something (laughs) you're with the wilderness in the background (laughs) and the comic sans text and whatever over it yeah Yeah. but I love what you said and I think that's so true that you are enough and I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with that so chronic listeners at home or wherever they may be listening right now my pleasure you're all enough out there as well you are enough (laughs) (laughs) as you are come as you are (laughs) i love that thank you so much thank you and thank you for listening to another episode of that's so chronic Head to the show notes or to at That's So Chronic on Instagram to see the TVNZ interview Ren was recently a part of and to find all other important information. Your support for this podcast truly means the world. And if you would like to support, the best way to do this is by pressing subscribe on Apple Pods, follow on Spotify and leaving a review if you enjoyed the episode. This is the best way for That's So Chronic to get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope. And hey, you are enough.